Well, if you've ever worked with kids, you'd probably recognize pretty quick that the plan that you had might not go exactly how you want it to go. See, the director in that, he's hoping that this Christmas musical is just going to be fabulous. And within 25 seconds, 10 seconds probably, realizes this ain't going as planned. So happy to have you here this morning as we kick off our Christmas series. My name is Mike, and I don't have anything to do with the kids here at Waypoint, so that's great because it would probably go just like that. But we're so happy that you're here this morning, and um, I wanted to be able to start off with a story. You can't make this stuff up. Have you ever had a plan that didn't go exactly how you want? Well, I'll answer it for you. Yes. See, sometimes we have these plans. We think everything's going to go just like we want it to go, and then all of a sudden, plans change, and you can either get really frustrated or really discouraged or really upset, whatever it might be. And I had this plan one time, and I was really excited about it, and I had, it was almost this vision for how this thing was going to go. It was probably four or five years ago. We were going to Florida with my wife's family, Fort Myers, and it was going to be the greatest vacation ever. I was ready for it. I was like, this is going to be awesome. It'll be a week away. We're going to fly out the, the whole thing from the flight to the time we get back. It's just going to be awesome. We're going to eat snow crab every night. We're going to get ice cream. You know, I'm going to hang out on the beach. I'm gonna, it's just going to be awesome. And so this is my plan. Like, nothing's going to go wrong. And from the moment we get to the South Bend Airport, well, of course, if you've, not to take a shot at South Bend, South Bend Airport, but you're obviously going to wait and keep getting delayed at the South Bend Airport. So I don't know why my plan was going to be perfect because we were flying out of South Bend. I should have known better. So we're going over to South Bend, and right from the get-go, this, this isn't going well. Like, we're, we keep getting delays, and they're not really letting us know what's going on. And I'm like, that's okay. Like, it's still going to be fun. But we keep getting delayed, and, and then finally we get, we get the call. We're like, oh, we're getting ready to take off. And I'm like, yes, we're going to take off. Here comes, the, here comes the great vacation. Here comes the plan. So we take off, and we're in a little bit of a smaller plane, and I, I, I fly, but I, I don't really like flying. Like, I, I try to take, uh, what is that, Dramamine and stuff and maybe go to sleep. In fact, when we flew to Israel that one year, it was about 15 hours. I, don't, I, I was literally just, like, trying to sleep the whole time because I, I just, I'm not a huge fan of flying, although I do it. So it's already not going to be, like, the greatest experience potentially when we're flying. And I know we're getting into this small plane. And we're up in the air, and I, hear, I, you know, feeling this turbulence, and it's kind of, you know, kind of bumpy, and I'm getting a little nervous, and like, oh man, what's going on? And all of a sudden, and I'm, by the way, I'm going to try to keep this story as ungraphic as I possibly can. I promise you that. But this, you can't make this stuff up. So we're flying, it's getting bumpy, and I kind of start feeling like I'm going to get sick. And so I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to get sick, and I'm, sh- I'm shaking, and. Megan, being the incredible wife that she is, grabs the bag, and I start throwing up into the bag, and it's not good. And I start, and then I try to get up, because I'm like, well, I want to get up and like go to the bathroom. And of course, the, you know, the flight attendant, sir, sit down. The flight is in motion. I know the flight's in motion, lady. I just threw up. The, the seatbelt is turned. I, I can see that. I'm throwing up. I got to go to the bathroom. So... I'm already not happy. The vacation is not going as planned. So we land, and I've, I've, I've thrown up. I'm a little, you know, not feeling very good, but it's going to be better, right? So we, get, we, we land, and now we're in Florida, so it's, everything's good. Once you actually get in Florida, I think that's what the, thing, the saying is. You know, once you get, no, I made that up. But once you get to Florida, it's all going to be good. So we get to Florida. Everything's good. 
And the second day that we're there, Jerry, Megan's dad, my father-in-law is like, hey guys, let's go deep sea fishing. And I'm like, oh man, yeah. He's like, he's like, you ever been? And of course, like, I'm trying to be tough. I was like, oh yeah, I mean, all the time. Like, I basically do that every other weekend. He's like, he's like, hey, really, have you been, been deep sea fishing? I was like, I mean, yeah, probably. I was like, I think I caught that great white one time, but I was like, oh, you know, not often do I go deep sea fishing. So we decide we're gonna go deep sea fishing. And I'm like, all right, I can handle this. So we're gonna go off from eight to noon. Eight to noon, we're gonna go deep sea fishing. And so, we get out on the boat. Captain Bob takes us out. I still remember Captain Bob. Man, that was a gruff-looking man, but I tell you what, that guy had a nice boat. So he takes us out on this boat, Captain Bob, and the waves are terrible, and you know where this is going. The waves are just terrible. And so I kinda, I'm out there, and I start feeling kind of sick. I'm like, man, I don't feel very good, and, and this is where I'm going to try and not be as graphic, but you ever been on those boats, the, the, the bathrooms are really small. I don't know, it's like, I don't get it. Are elves fitting in here? I don't understand. It is Christmas right now, so, but I, they're the tiniest little bathrooms ever. And the toilet, the toilet is this big. I'm not kidding. The toilet is this big in that bathroom. And I start kind of feeling sick, and so I'm like, oh man, I got, I'm, I'm gonna go to the bathroom just to make sure. So I open the door, and I'm basically claustrophobic in there. I sit down on the toilet. I'm not feeling good. And Jerry, you know, I'm like crying at this point. I didn't want anyone to see me, but I'm crying. And Jerry comes and he knocks on the door and he's like, hey, you all right in there? And I was like, no, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm really not okay, Jerry. And he's like, okay. And then he just walks back out. I was like, he's a very compassionate man, very compassionate man. So I, I'm like laying there and or sitting there and I was like, oh, I feel good. And I, I throw up a bunch and stuff. And I go out and I sit they give me a bucket and I sit, you know, on this couch. I lay on this couch from eight to noon. And I promise you, this is no joke. I was looking, there's a little window in the cabin. And at one point it was rocky so bad that I could see all sky and then all sea. It was terrible, rocking horribly. I'm not feeling good. And you know that if you're out on a boat, you're not gonna get any relief essentially until you step on land. And so it's eight to noon and I'm, I'm just laying there and Jerry says, or and Captain Bob says, hey guys, I, I can't remember, did you pay for half day or full day? And Jerry goes, yeah, let's do full. We're staying out till four. Are you kidding? I'm like, dude, I'm married to your daughter. You're not gonna scare me away at this point. You've got to be kidding. I, I, to this day, he says, no, I didn't do it. I said, yes, you did. It was eight to noon. I'm thinking we're going back at noon. He tells Captain Bob, let's stay out till four o'clock. I about got up and threw Jerry overboard. I was like, what are you doing, man? This is no joke when I say this. I promise you, I counted. I'm not making this up. I threw up 44 times. I lost 12 pounds. I'm not kidding. I lost 12 pounds that week. I felt terrible. We finally, I'd never been happier to see land. I felt like Gilligan's Island, man. I got off land. I was like, oh, this is incredible. Like, we're on land. So you're thinking, okay, so th that's, the, that's the week, right? It can't get any worse. Oh, <laughs> it does. So now I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm done with the whole throw-up stuff, essentially because I, I can't throw up anymore. My stomach, I had like a six-pack at this point, and I'm like, I... I can't throw up anymore, so the week is going to be good now. Like, now it's where the fun starts. There's no more deep sea fishing. Don't throw out any ideas at me with deep sea fishing. Well, Jerry says the next day, he says, hey, man, why don't we go, you guys want to go play some basketball? Well, I grew up and played, you know, I grew up playing basketball, and I love basketball, and I'm thinking, well, and even, I'll say this, Jerry's pretty good at basketball, 
But like, I was in my prime at the time. So I was like, I was like, dude, let's play, man. Like, I, you embarrassed me on that boat yesterday. I'm about, to, I'm about to cross you over like you've never seen, you know? This is my father-in-law, by the way, so it makes it even better. And so we go and we're, we're, we go to the, you know, to the gym and we're playing and we show up and there's this, there's this guy and his son. And every time Megan tells this story, the kid keeps getting younger and younger in this story. I swear, the last time she told it, he was nine. The kid that schooled me was not nine. I promise, he was 13, but it's, it's, it's not a big deal. So, I, he, honestly, he was probably like 19 or something. I, can't, I really can't remember. But, um, so we get there, and there's this, there's this dad and this son, and the dad had played at Kentucky, and he was like a huge stud, like, you know, 6'3", like this jack dude. And I was like, man, that, that's just a great guy right there. And then his son, his son was like as tall as me, which I know that's not saying much, but he was as tall as me. And the kid had game. I'm not kidding. I don't, I mean, he might've been 13, but he had game. And so I'm, I'm playing, like I'm guarding him. And it, don't get me wrong. I obviously crossed him over many times and I was getting buckets on him. There's no doubt about that. But this one particular play he crossed me over so bad. I, I, I embarrassed to even say this. He crossed me over so bad. I hear this, this giant pop in my ankle. I cannot describe to you the feeling that overcame me at this particular moment. This kid crosses me over. I hear this pop with my ankle, and I drop to the floor, absolutely drop to the floor. I'm like trying not to cry, but I want to cry. And, and Jerry, Jerry just keeps playing. He just keeps playing. I'm like... So I'm dragging myself off the floor, like literally, you know, on my hands and knees, army crawling off the floor. And he finally looks over. He's like, oh, did you get hurt? Yes, I got hurt. I mean, you not, did you not see that? So the week is terrible. So I, my ankle at this point is about this big. I can't get any worse at this point. Like the week can't get any worse. And so the rest of the week, like I'm sitting there the next couple days on the beach. I'm basically sitting like this, showing my six pack because I've lost so much weight and I got the ice pack on my ankle. I look just so pathetic, and I, I'm not making this up. We're all sitting in a row, and a bird came, and it crapped on my head. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I promise you. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I'm dead serious. And I was like, what else can go wrong? Once we got home, I was like, I told Megan, I was like, I'm never leaving my house again. Like, we're, gonna, we're just going to stay in the house the rest of the time. So that was, a, that was a prime example of things not going according to plan. Maybe you've actually had this, though, on a more serious note, where things just haven't exactly went according to plan. You had a plan, it didn't go as you thought, and now what's actually happened is you began to lose trust in God. You know, it's the holidays right now, and it's, sometimes it's a reminder of family. Maybe for you, you had a plan that everybody was going to be together for Christmas, and now they're not. Or maybe recently you've lost someone, and... This Christmas, you planned it to be with them, and it was going to be so fun, it was going to be amazing, and there's going to be that empty chair. Or maybe you're somewhere in your career, and you're thinking, man, I was supposed to be further at this point, God. I, I had this plan. I had where I was going to be on this track, and I'm not there. Or maybe you had this financial plan, and, and something happened, and, and you're, not, you're not where you want to be, or, or you're dealing with a, a sickness, or you've just been told you have cancer. God, this was not a part of my plan. See, we all have plans, and we all want to have our plans work out. It would just make sense. That's why we make them in the first place. But when plans don't go exactly that we want, 
It's easy to not trust God. It's easy to get angry with God. I've been there. I've had certain things in my life where I had an absolute plan and I wanted to make sure that it was going to go exactly how I wanted to. And anything that got tweaked, I was going to get frustrated. I was going to get angry. I was maybe going to stop trusting God because I wanted my plan to go a certain way. But realistically, we know that that is not life. And so this morning, as we kind of begin to kick off this this series, I want to talk to you about a plan that God had. See, God has a purpose, and in his purpose, he had this incredibly beautiful plan. But sometimes we're not always able to recognize it, because when we have a preconceived idea or a plan in our head, and something changes or doesn't go exactly what we thought, we might actually think that maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm going to give you some examples, but what, before we jump into some of these scriptures, I want to tell you about a prophet. I want to tell you about three prophets, actually, and then I want to kind of tell you what the meaning of some of this stuff is. So first, if you don't know what a prophet is, put the, we'll put the definition on the screen for you. This is what a prophet is. It's a person who advocates, advocates or speaks in a visionary way on an entity's behalf, serving as an intermediary with humanity by delivering messages or teachings from the supernatural source to other people. What this is, is an individual who will be able to speak on God's behalf. There's many prophets in the the Bible. There isn't, from what I've read, from what I've studied, there's not a specific number of prophets. There is thought to be 73 prophets recorded that are actually would be considered prophets, but there's many people in scriptures that prophesy that aren't considered prophets in the Bible technically. So they say there's, I've I've seen the number 73 quite a bit in the studies. So there's a lot of examples of what prophets are doing in the scriptures, and I want to be able to highlight three, but I want to give you a little information on all three of them and then have these little sub points. And so the first prophet um, would be Ezekiel. Ezekiel is actually... He, he had a lot of different things take place in his life, but a couple things about him is that he was a functioning priest, and he was actually going to be used as, to establish a new covenant between God and the people of Israel. That's something he wanted to do, and he was called to do. And he was among those who was deported to Babylon, and he spent basically the, rema- the remainder of his days seeking to restore those individuals, seeking to restore his nation And Ezekiel, yeah, he was given a lot of symbolic actions and strange visions throughout his whole life. If you read about Ezekiel, you can see all these different things that took place in his life. He's he's the first one that we're going to highlight. The second one is Obadiah. Obadiah is, this is kind of cool, Obadiah is one of only three prophets uh, who pronounces judgment primarily on other nations. Most of the time when you're thinking prophets, you think they're going to be speaking on behalf of their nation. That would make sense. And there's three recorded in scriptures that are actually prophesying on behalf of other nations. Obadiah would be one of them. And his name means worshiper of Yahweh. And throughout Obadiah, God reminded Edom of their poor treatment of his people and promised redemption, not to the Edomites, but to the people of Judah. There's scripture that talks about pride comes before the fall. That is actually based on the story of Obadiah. Because Edom was a, was a land that essentially disappeared. It, is, it, it, it dissolved And part of that was because Edom's pride was so heavy and they had their plans and they had their pride involved. And so Obadiah's job was essentially to tell them, look, you guys are not living the way God is calling you to live. And because of this, your pride 
is going to dissolve you, and Edom actually dissolved. And so when you see the scriptures, different areas of scripture where it talks about pride before the fall, part of this is stemming from Obadiah and the story of Edom. And one thing I like about this is I think there's a lot of truth here with pride when you think about it. See, plans involve pride. Most of the plans that we have involve ourselves being set up to have the most money, the greatest success, the greatest home life, you know, the greatest blah, 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 the greatest stuff, whatever it would be. You don't make a plan to harm yourself for the most part. Let's think about this realistically. When you're making a plan, you are making a plan so that you can benefit or those, can be, those around you can be benefited. Now, we're not talking about stuff, we're not gonna jump into the, the side of, from the psychosocial side of mental illness or anything like that. We're more talking about a person that's in their right mind would make a plan to benefit themselves and those around. But oftentimes our pride is the thing that really stems those plans. And so when you have a plan and somebody changes it, you get frustrated, why? Because your pride just got in. Well, how dare they mess with my plan? Are you kidding me? That's my plan. This is what I had planned. This is what I was going to do. There's a pride attached to it. And I think that we see some of this stuff in the story of Obadiah. So I wanna just highlight, keep that in your mind, this idea of what Obadiah was doing with pride. And then the last one, there's a little bit of a, a kind of a unique prophecy taking place with Uriah because Uriah was actually killed for being a prophet. You see, he gave the same message as Jeremiah, who we're gonna chat about here or talk about in just a second, which was that the people of Judah and common citizens alike refused to repent of their idol worship and return to worship of the true God of Israel. Uh, King Jehoiakim believed death was the best way to shut Uriah up. And so when Uriah heard about this, of course, he fled to Egypt. And then Uriah was murdered by King Jay, and the king's men, they actually dumped his body in the pauper's grave rather than letting uh, him be buried with his family. Sometimes, when you're a messenger and you're trying to get the news out, stuff isn't gonna go your way, perhaps. Think if God asked you to do something, and he didn't guarantee you the protection of life or death, he just asked you to do it. Would you still do it? See, sometimes I think when we attach God's plans to us, when we hear this about that in Jeremiah, that I have plans for you, for some reason in our minds, we've attached the word safety and protection and all that stuff. I want those things when God calls me to do something. He will give me whatever I need to do the task that he's called me to do, but protection and safety, I don't see that in the scripture when it talks about obedience. See, Uriah was called to prophesy, and it cost him his life. God didn't step in and intervene. God called him and said, I have a plan for you. I want you to prophesy against these people. They brutally beat him, murdered him, and then they throw his body into a grave rather than let him have a proper burial site. Who said anything about following Jesus is going to be easy, right? I think sometimes we think that's what it's going to be. If we... Follow Jesus, it's gonna be fluffy, it's gonna be fun. You know what, it's hard, it's really hard. There's people in our world right now that are, that are being killed because they're standing up for Christ. And we haven't experienced that necessarily per se in our country, but you're being per persecuted every day when you step up for Jesus. Because it's not the norm. And so what this individual is doing is he is realizing and recognizing that he's gonna obey God's plans and he's gonna put his pride aside and it might cost him. And I think there's some foreshadowing 
as we talk about Jeremiah, there's some foreshadowing in the scriptures of Jeremiah actually talking about the birth of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to land on three more verses, three more verses. If you have your Bibles, you want to look up the screen, that's fine, or you have your iPads, please, please read these words with me. You don't have to read them aloud. But we're going to jump into Jeremiah 1, 4 through 9. It says this. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I want you to see that Jeremiah, maybe not even recognizing it, is completely foreshadowing the birth of Jesus. Take a look at this. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I did not know how to speak. I am too young. Maybe like a baby. Maybe like a baby that would come. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid for I am with you and will rescue you. Now we see an example of God's protection, declares the Lord. And in nine, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah talks about God having a plan for us and having an opportunity for you and I to thrive in doing what God asks us to do. But what's interesting about the Christmas story and the foreshadowing here is that many individuals, many prophets, talked about God being this king, this Messiah, he was going to come, but actually there is very few, and you can look there's very few that actually address him coming as a baby. Isaiah is one of them, one of the prophets that, I, that actually addressed God as coming as a baby. There's a couple other prophets that said he would be born in Bethlehem. There was a couple other prophets that said he would be born of a virgin mother. There is some prophecy, but most of the prophetic stuff talks about God coming as this king. It's actually one of the reasons that many Jewish people, as we were in Israel, I noticed this and we had talked about this, it's actually one of the reasons that many Jewish people are still waiting for the Messiah. Because what they had, the plan that they had in their mind is that the Messiah will come, the sky will split, he'll be this huge king. And my, my, my thinking sometimes is that if you don't recognize, if you're so wrapped up in your plan, you might actually recognize that Jesus actually already came, and they're missing out on that simply because they're wrapped up in their plan. Now, I want to take you to a story. It's the most popular story probably in Scripture because it's about Mary, and I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a second. Why God would choose to use a baby, why God would choose to go off course a little bit, because when you think of a king, you'd think of this big majesty type of thing. You wouldn't think of a baby being born in a cave. Am I right? With no crown? You wouldn't think of that. But that's exactly what happened. Why did God do this? Well, I think he even changed Mary's plans, which is kind of interesting. I'm going to walk you through a little, little story that isn't, it, it doesn't record this in scripture, but I, wanna, I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes. Remember, she's a real person. Think about how Mary would have felt. Mary's a, Mary's a young girl. In the, in the scriptures, it does talk about her being a young girl. Mary's a young girl. She probably would have been at youth group, and she would have seen this dude named Joe. And she looks over, and she's like, man, Joe, that's one good-looking dude right there. I really like this guy. And her and Joe start talking, and all of a sudden, they start dating, and 
they're texting each other, and it's, it's just, it's going really well, right? The plan. And then Joe might even get down on one knee and propose to Mary, and now they have all these big plans. They're going to have this amazing family. They're going to make sure that everything is good. They're going to be financially stable. Joe's going to keep working on his craft, his trade. They're going to do all this stuff, and then God interrupts Mary's plans, if you remember, in a giant way culturally because an angel of the Lord comes and tells Mary, you're actually going to have a baby. Can you imagine? Put yourself in her shoes. Wait, what? I'm going to have a baby? Yeah, and the Holy Spirit's going to give you this baby. So now you have some explaining to do to your town. This is culturally not going to work, but I want you to name this baby Jesus, and he's going to save the people from their sins. Talk about an interruption of a plan. See, Mary's plans, we forget, like, she was a real person. She had real plans. She went out with her friends on Friday nights. They probably went to the local pizza, pizza shop. Like, we forget, because we know the end story, but I always try to highlight, these were real people. They had plans. Mary and Joseph had plans. And God, this is not what we had planned. You have got to be kidding me. Why can't, you're talking about, there's all this prophecy of the Messiah coming. Why can't you just allow the Messiah to come in just a normal way? Why do you have to use a baby? You're going to use a baby? You just, you just like to be different? Do you like the shock factor? Like, what are you trying to do, God? And to make matters even worse, now Josiah, or Joseph's plans are even getting potentially interrupted because now he's thinking about divorcing Mary. He, he loved Mary. He didn't want to divorce her, but culturally, this was a no-no. Put yourself in their shoes. Now, all of a sudden, their plans are interrupted, but they're going to go ahead after they're conf- it's affirmed from an angel that they need to keep doing this, keep going down this path. Their plans would have been at this point, okay, all right, well, this isn't what we thought, but let's at least get a nice drive to the hospital. We'll get very good care, you know, and it'll, it'll be fine. Like, we'll get the, the, the medicine, the drugs or whatever, and just make sure that we're good, and it'll be totally fine. And God says, oh, actually, yeah, I know I'm giving you this, a, a baby that's actually the king of the world, but you're not even gonna get, get a good hospital. You're actually going to give birth in a cave next to a bunch of animals. God disrupts their plan again. Keep in mind, these are real people. Fast forward 33 years. Mary's standing there at the foot of the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's gotten spat on, hardly recognizable because he's so beaten. He's got a crown of thorns. He's been mocked. And again, put yourself, if you're a mother, Put yourself in Mary's shoes. This is your 33-year-old son hanging on a cross. This is the savior of the world. This is, God, you told me that if I had this baby, you would, you would, this person would save people from their sins. This does not look like he's saving them from their sins. You don't think Mary would have been terribly confused, terribly hurt, terribly sad, terribly angry? She had a calling from God that God already interrupted her plans, and now 33 years later, she's watching her son be crucified, and it's not recorded in scripture, but I can only imagine as, as what a mother would do is she probably would have dropped to her knees, and maybe at that moment she would have said, God, I do not trust your plan. You've got to be kidding me. This is not what a king looks like. A king does not hang on a cross like this. And then three days later, Jesus gives us the greatest redemption story that's ever happened. You see... What I want to highlight, as I want to highlight to you today and this morning, is that man has plans. 
but God has purpose. And there's a verse that I want to land on, and I want you to know your purpose. And it's in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, as you've already seen, just with a short, short example. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. If you want to know what your purpose is this morning, your purpose is to radiate Jesus. See, plans fall through. Plans get broken. I think we live in a world where there's two sides, there's two angles to plans. There's this one. I stated earlier. Maybe your plans have gotten broken. You thought this relationship was going to work out and it didn't. You thought that you were going to see this person at Christmas and you aren't going to be. You thought that your life was going to turn out like this and then you got sick. You thought your life was going to be, you fill in the blank. And because your plans have changed, you've actually stopped trusting God. And you're sitting here in here this morning and you know in your heart realistically that you have stopped trusting God. How could a God who tells me in Jeremiah, who actually has a prophet, tell me that I have plans for you, not give me the best plans? He actually says, Jeremiah is saying, I have plans that are going to prosper you. So what are we talking about, God? Maybe you've got to that point where you don't feel like anything is working out, and because of it, you are not going to trust God. And then the other angle is maybe that you are so wrapped up in your plans that you're actually missing what God has for you and who he is. Like I said earlier, there is a group of Jewish people, God's chosen people, who do not see Jesus as the Messiah because their plans, they're waiting for this big, magical, majesty-type thing, and Jesus didn't fit. Baby Jesus did not fit into those plans. If you're so busy or you're so wrapped up, or you have so much pride in your plans, often like I am, you might actually miss that God does have plans for you, but more importantly, he has a purpose for you. As we call the band back up, I, I just really want to challenge you this morning with this idea. I don't know exactly where you're at this morning. I don't know exactly what you're dealing with, but what I do know is there's a God who does have plans for you. If you've been through a broken job situation, he has plans for you. If you've been through a broken relationship, he has plans for you. If you've been through a broken situation, he has plans for you. If your plans currently are not working out, there is a savior that came that wants to redeem you. I, I just, I feel like too often, my plans get in the way of God's purpose. Because I want my plans to work out, and whenever they don't, I get frustrated. A practical thing that I could best think of would be, like I said, with that vacation. It's kind of stupid, but sometimes like our plans don't work out. And I could have had a really bad attitude, and I basically did, but as I think back on that, sometimes my, my attitude is actually reflecting 
my plans that are broken. So when my plans get broken, I get really angry, I get really mean, I get really grouchy. I'm not very fun to be around. And I don't radiate Jesus in those moments. So a practical way of how you could do something, if you're looking for a practical thing as you walk away this morning and say, okay, that was great, like, what about my, like, what are you talking about with plans? Let me give you something very practical you could do. Next time something doesn't go according to plan, try and reflect on your attitude. I cannot control many things, but there's two things that I can control every day. My attitude and my effort. My attitude and my effort are the two things that I can control every day. Plans are going to fall through, they're going to break. Some of us are gonna be devastated in this room, some of us are dealing with sickness, we're dealing with all sorts of stuff. And those are not the plans that you had. And I'm not, I'm not erasing your pain. I'm not saying, well, just have a good positive mental attitude. I'm not saying that. I'm saying maybe try and reflect on the goodness of God, knowing that he has saved you. You're already free. You're already redeemed. So your plans, you can push them aside because God has a purpose for your life. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, in a season that we're reminded of togetherness, that's not always the case for people. I think, I love the Christmas season because my experience has been a positive one. But there's many individuals in this room, that's not the case. Christmas has been a hard time. It's a reminder of a broken family. It's a reminder of separation. It's a reminder that that job didn't work out. It's a reminder that things just aren't going the way they're supposed to. It's a reminder of that empty chair in the room. It's hard. Sometimes Christmas can be really hard. And as we start this Christmas series, I felt like you were just wanting me to be a reminder this morning that you have a purpose for each and every one of us. Even if our plans have went south, even if our plan is going south, you want us to humble ourselves, get on our knees and say, God, what plans do you have for me? What is your purpose for me? May we start diving into scripture to find our purpose, the word of God, understanding that, gosh, Lord, you can move. Your Holy Spirit can move. Those words can come off the page and come alive and start to wrap around our heart and all of a sudden we are a walking, breathing, living piece of scripture that we're representing and highlighting you. That's what we wanna do. You didn't come as this crazy big you know, king with, with the, the crown. In fact, you did the opposite of those plans because when I see a king, I think of a crown of gold and jewels and instead you wore a crown of thorns. So may this morning we recognize that not all plans, even you, God, probably, <laughs> probably sometimes lost the sight of even your purpose as you cried out to God the night before. It's easy to do. But Jesus, you're perfect. May we just bathe in that perfection. May we just understand that you love us. We're so grateful, and I'm grateful for these people. May they have a wonderful day today, God. May the plans that they do have today be beneficial and glorifying to you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.